thank you for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts, the podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Lee, your hostess of Ceremonies, and this is episode 110. My guest this week is David Lawson. He is a comic who had performed on Comedy Central. He is the host of a storytelling podcast and has performed his one-man show all around New York City as well as across the nation. His monthly storytelling show, the Astoria Bookshop Storytelling Show, has run for six years and was featured in the New York Times. He also taught storytelling classes at Queens Theater. He's a writer, a performer, a director, a podcaster, and a teacher. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Lee, for that great intro. and Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> you are a renaissance man. It's so impressive. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I guess I didn't say I was uh, good at any of that. But yeah, <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. Thank you, Lee. So being a solo performer, one has to be both courageous and vulnerable. These gifts came naturally or did you develop them over time? So the when I think of what the germ for uh, really loving one person shows is, I think of actually I had the sixth grade teacher named uh, Mr. Heflin who noticed that I would be misbehaving in class and he would let me have two minutes at the top of every class to do like a ESPN sports center broadcast for the class. Um, and in a lot of ways that was kind of planting the seed, a really good educator, my sixth grade teacher, Brett Heflin, uh, he kind of planted that seed and maybe be like, Oh wow. Standing in front of other people. And, uh, you know, the one speaking to the many really did, um, tie into the something I loved um that's that was kind of the germ of the whole thing when I think of uh because I've been doing this for a while why I want to do that that was the thing really um really gave me incentive to not blurt out in class and misbehave um I really wanted those two minutes every morning to just be making jokes about uh uh, you know, uh, I don't know, like the starting linebacker of the San Francisco 49ers or something. But uh, that's what really got that started. Yeah, that's great. And that's an excellent teacher you had to help foster what you had in, in you. I was lucky to have uh, teachers like that who who didn't see my misbehaving and blurting out as a problem, but really provided me with that outlet and that incentive. Yeah. That's wonderful. Would you say you use the same techniques with your own students? Um, ooh, that's a great question. Um, I don't think I use quite that technique because uh, I just think comparing, you know, a 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. elementary school teacher to what I do, you know, teaching storytelling and teaching one person shows, which are usually, you know, two hours, three hours at a time. Uh, usually with older students than sixth graders. I've not taught one person shows to sixth graders yet, but I think I do sometimes think of great teachers I've had when I, when I know that um, I need to find a student uh, to make an adjustment or maybe need to make sure a student is being more constructive in their criticism to other students in the class, or maybe need to, see something that I think, oh boy, is this a, is this the storytelling I usually teach and, and say, oh, well, let, let's try something new and let's say yes to what the student wants to work on. So those are kind of similar, you know, I guess empowering students was what this person, uh, Mr. Heflin was doing. And uh, I, I guess I do try to do some version of that, just not sixth graders. Yeah. Wow. That's excellent. And 
I checked out your Comedy Central sketch, Rage Restaurant. I was yes. in stitches. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. That uh, thank you for watching that. You know, that is the thing that uh, for the rest of my days that can put in parentheses Comedy Central next to my name. Um, but yes, uh, that was my good friend uh, Tim Barnes, really talented comic. Um, he was the person sitting across from me in that sketch. And he asked me to do that. Um, I had actually done a one man show about the star Wars prequels. I think that made him think that I could do that, which I, I did. I was just kind of riffing all these jokes in that sketch rage restaurant. And I loved doing that. I would, I would doing that made me realize I would love to have a, an under five minute role in a movie where I could be some kind of manic character like that one of these days. Um, but yeah, that, that thing has like millions of views across all platforms and was, uh, a lot of nice comments on that uh, YouTube for rage restaurant, but thank you so much Lee for watching that. That must've been so much fun to shoot. It just looked like a blast. It was, I got to break a stunt bottle that at the end, they gave me like a, a sugar glass thing. I was like, Oh, wow. It's like this is like really like a comedy central production. I get to do a little stunt type of situation. Um, uh, I guess for those who haven't watched it, it would take you three minutes to watch a rage restaurant on YouTube. But yeah, I just break a bottle and threaten a bartender at one point in that sketch. And uh, ultimately it was just exciting going from, you know, I think of comedy central being the big blue logo with the radio thing on it back in the nineties to get to see my face next to that little comedy central logo, kind of, you know, a small, a small win for, for, for me and a, and a big win in, in other ways. Yeah. Well, it was my pleasure to watch it. I can't wait to show my husband when he gets home from work. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I hope he loves it too. He will. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a great sense of humor too. So you had a one-man show in New York called Nazis and Me about encounters you had with hate groups. And that is such an important topic. It's just so relevant. And uh, what was your experience with that? I, I saw a bit of the video. Yeah. The and and uh, thank you for watching that, Lee. But um, really, I had been... Um... I've been doing one man shows for a while and, and that's the one that's probably had the, the most legs for me is open the most things. And also maybe it's like the closest to my heart because uh, so I grew up in this, this Jewish household, going to synagogue every Saturday, going to the Jewish community center every day after school. And I started realizing like, you know, I do have these experiences that are, that are pretty unique to that and, and not just the, the nice good stuff like, um, you know, good, the, the good lessons I've taken away from organized religion rather than the things I've, run very fast far away from but um just stuff like uh, oh wow you know uh seeing the jewish community center covered in uh nazi graffiti and being at a hanukkah event as a little kid when there was a bomb threat and even you know uh, visiting my grandmother a few years ago and, and her synagogue getting vandalized and um these online encounters i've had over the years with um you know, like incels and um, certain parts of the alt-right online, um, how the alt-right world and the comedy world have blended together in some circles of comedy. So I just, I just realized a couple of years ago, I had enough of these stories to just, you know, fill, fill out an hour of literally, you know, Nazis and me. And um, I first did that in 2018 and uh, 
you know, that was, it's still a, a prescient thing, but that really during the, those first few years of president Trump, that was uh, obviously like, I, I really tapped a nerve with a lot of folks and, um, but that was the germ of it really realizing, Oh, wow. I have all these stories. There was that thing that happened in that online encounter that I had and, uh, um, kind of putting them all together and, um, and a story with trying to, trying to say something about, um, yeah, that these folks are here and you got to acknowledge them, fight back in whichever way you can be that, you know, phone banking, a politician who will vote against what they want or, you know, yeah, all kinds of things like that. Yeah, but that, that's where it came from really realizing I had all those stories. Yeah. That's great. It's our responsibility as artists to use our art forms to bring to light important issues. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. Well, well, thanks so much, Lee. I, uh, I, I performed that show probably the most out of any of my shows. And, uh, I, I was, I was happy it, it found the audience that it did. Yeah. Uh, you won the audience choice award at um, the 2019 frigid New York festival for directing Ricardo Cardillo's one man show invisibility. What was that journey like? Yeah. Uh, so Richard Cardillo, I guess I just should just put some respect on his name. Uh, but uh, that show was really a heck of a show. So Richard Cardillo is this wonderful storyteller in the New York City uh, community. He's a teacher like me as, as well. Uh, he He's in high schools all the time. He's not just, you know, uh, teaching, you know, class to class to class. But um, so Richard was a closeted gay man growing up and he became a monk all as a teenager to basically try to have some kind of self conversion therapy, uh, which is the controversial technique when they try to convert a homosexual person into a heterosexual person. He tried basically doing this to himself by joining a monastery. And um, he was a closeted man in Lima, Peru working for the Catholic church. And, um, and uh, this, I, I guess, spoiler alert, it, it did not work. You know, Richard is now a married man, uh, you know, a, uh, but that this was basically his story about about trying to use faith as a younger man to convert himself, to get rid of these horrible feelings that he hated, that he had. And I had always loved Richard's story. Him asking me to direct this was um, really a, a great privilege, just winning that Audience Choice Award at Frigid was I had worked with Frigid uh, going back to 2010, Frigid New York, the the wonderful theater company that runs the Crane Theater and uh, under St. Mark's in the East Village. But working on that was was really excellent. Um, that is a great show. Um, and uh, that I got to help shape Richard telling this incredible story of, of you know, faith and sexuality um, was, was really a, a privilege. I was happy that he asked me to do it i think we came up with a great show and i guess the audience at that festival agreed yeah oh, that's wonderful so it's richard cardillo i apologize i oh no i mean Cardi I cardio because i thought he was latino <laughs> oh yeah no no he, he he is not um but uh no no sweat on the pronunciation i i you know i try to listen to every podcast before i go on and uh, i listen to an episode when someone asked how to pronounce your name right off lee so i was appreciative that i didn't have to you know swing and fail so no no sweat on mispronouncing a name yeah <laughs> so cardillo italian yes yep you said it yep mm -hmm. i i married to uh... 
Italian American guy. Oh. And he's he's actually a composer. He's a um, very talented musician. Oh, cool. Uh, over piano, I'm guessing. Piano, yeah, and some awesome. guitar. Yeah, piano. So cool. a lot of art in my home, a lot of creativity. <laughs> yeah, I liked hearing about the the your dance background, Lee. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> my whole life since I was little. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so what advice would you give to aspiring comics and storytellers? My, uh, the, the first advice I would have is just go find a place where you can do it. Um, actually, I wanted to say, Lee, I was really happy that uh, when I was, that you started this podcast out of in the midst of lockdown and, and you've kind of chronicled with the show, you know, lockdown to post vaccine to, to, you know, 2022. And now here we are talking, it's 2023, it's four days in, but um, just because I, I really do think that uh, finding a place to go, you know, to a stand up comedy open mic or to a storytelling open mic um, in particular with storytelling, which is really more the world I'm, I'm more connected to than the setup punchline stand up world, but, uh, just finding an outlet to do it. There's so many opportunities. There is a Facebook group called NYC storytelling that has like over 6,000 members. And there's almost a show every single night, even with the kind of slow rebuild of the last few years, um, post vaccine, I guess I should say, but, um, you know, get, you know, get it, get out and, and, and do it would be the biggest thing, especially with uh, one person shows and storytelling and stand up as well. You know, all these things that you can do alone on stage, which, as you can tell, I, I love that. It's my favorite thing to to create as an artist. It's my favorite thing to see as an artist, one person alone on stage speaking to the many. Uh, if anyone was going into any of those things, you know, just just find a stage that you can get on and do it. And then, you know, on that walk home or the drive home, subway ride home, you could say, well, how did I feel? Well, what could be better? What could have been worse? Um, and there's just so, so many opportunities that if someone honestly said, I want to get into this, I would say, oh, go, go on this NYC storytelling group, find an open mic that fits your schedule and throw your hat in the mic and, and look into some people's eyes and, you know, share share your story, share your humor. Uh, really going for it in particular with those ones speaking to the many that just, it's such a go for it thing in a way that something like, you know, playwriting or film directing can't always be because you need all this, you know, the team and the camera on the production space and all that. So yeah, going for it, finding a space and, and doing it. Yeah. Wow, that's great advice. And I appreciate you listening to my podcast and learning more about me. Yeah, you bet. I mean, I, I, I think this is a really, uh, that you started this in lockdown and kept going with it over a hundred episodes is kind of, like I said, like a good, uh, like arc of the pandemic so far. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It just took on a life of its own. I, I feel grateful to have it. Yeah. I love the name too, by the way, state of the arts, like, you know, I, I <laughs> thank love... you. Um, so what future projects do you have on the horizon that you could maybe give us a little sneak peek of? So I am still kicking this around. But for the next one man show I want to do is about uh, deep fake technology. And I had a, a job that had a little tie in with deep fake technology that I'll have a couple stories in. But for, for, those, for those that don't know, deep fake is like it's this thing that you could really put someone's face on someone else's face is maybe what it's best known for. In um, in movies, it's, it's been used in stuff like Star Wars Rogue One or uh, the Will Smith movie Gemini Man or 
some of the uh, some of the big Marvel Cinematic Universe movies have this de aging stuff where they make um, like Michael Douglas or Samuel L. Jackson look younger than they are. So there's all this uh, this deep fake technology, and I really have all these things I've written about it, and all these experiences of, of taking it in as both an audience member and also uh, I, I won't go too far into it here, but this this job that I had. Uh, I've worked in museums for a while. I guess I can't be so vague about it, but um, I had a job that involved uh, creating figurines of people based on photographs of them. And this really is what kind of adjacent to this deep fake technology. The biggest thing that I, that I want to get out of this is just that this is incredible technology for, for effects and for storytelling and, and potentially for good political satire and trying to say something um, but also, obviously, it is a new technology that's that's getting very good, very fast, and and uh, the innovation might need some regulation. Is is the the way I think of it? That um, there could be some dangerous uses for deep fake, um, including uh, this job that I had making these figurines. Uh, really seeing. It. Just people's uh, his body dysmorphia and, you know, the way they looked in these figurines versus how they looked in real life, how I looked in these test shots I had to do with this job. But basically wanting to do something, a one man show about deep fake technology and how it's touched politics and AI art and, and movies and uh, how I, I kind of got paid to have this front row seat to a certain element of it. And uh, it's still in the works, still figuring that out. But um, that's really the thing that I would want to do next. Yeah. Wow. That's a very intricate topic, too. And it's also becoming so popular. You see deep fake everywhere these days. Yeah. I mean, this AI art explosion in particularly, I, I see so many people. You can just enter in a sentence and, and you could say, you know, the minions from I'm despicable me at the January 6th rally or whatever. And, and uh, it will spit that out. Um, and, it, you know, I laugh at these jokes, but uh, also an artist could draw that with a uh, pencil or pastels or oils or something, or, or, you know, digital drawing. Um, and uh, I mean, the biggest, the biggest deep fake thing is like, if you can put someone's face onto someone else's body, this, creates a lot of things with like stuff like revenge porn or, or making politicians seem like they said something that they didn't actually say or, or fake revenge porn, I should say, like making it seem like someone's in a compromised position. Um, so these are, these are issues I'm really fascinated with because um, again, when, when the special effects look good in movies, which I think they do sometimes. And when there's really good satire used on it, um, Somebody created a deep fake of Mark Zuckerberg apologizing for Facebook's interference in the 2016 election. He never said that, but it was a really interesting piece of political art that somebody deep faked his voice and his image making this apologetic speech. I thought that was like some good, sharp satire. But, you know, if someone does that in the wrong way and uh, and. So I, I'm very fascinated by deep fake technology and this little teeny, you know, toe in the water I had with this museum job, um, you know, creating likenesses of other people um, kind of opened my mind to uh, similar things that, that deep fake brings out in people. Interesting. Wow. I mean, it could be used for fun or it could be used for evil. 
Exactly. I don't want to be the the person holding back a new technology, but I also, you know, uh, like I said, innovation needs regulation, I guess, is the, yeah. the, the kind of term I've been thinking of uh, as I've been working on this show. Absolutely. You have your own podcast. Would you like to elaborate more on that? I used, to, I used to have a podcast called Stipend that is completely, you know, kind of lost to the sands of time. Um, I had it with my my friend, this guy, Taylor Miller, who's this wonderful actor uh, who's on um, the CBS show FBI, actually. I just saw him last night. In fact, he seems like he's doing quite well. But um, we had a podcast and and it was good. But I, I'll tell you, it, it, trying to have a podcast made me admire folks like you. Who, who really could keep up with us doing a show a week or two shows a week, or even if it's two shows a month, it was, it is a lot of work. I stopped doing that uh, a few years ago, but I guess the thing I can speak to is that it gave me admiration for, for it's easy for me to just uh, pop in here and, and speak with you here today, Lee, but uh, oh man, having to schedule these and having to get them out and promote them. And um, you know, it's a lot of work. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> keep up your lips in account, your anchor account, uh, you know, all, all of that is it's, it's so much work. It really is. Wow. It's, it is yeah. <laughs> it's been such a journey. Like I I'll be on my couch at one in the morning. <laughs> oh yeah. Like getting these, getting these put out there and all that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the life of a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so where do you draw your inspiration from when you put out material from everything in life? Um, so I guess the, the, the best thing, so I've had, um, you mentioned it in the intro and thank you for, for mentioning that. I I've done these monthly storytelling shows for years. I, I love hosting them. I, I love, you know, having a, having a good room where people can work on things. And I've just, I, I really do love, it really goes hand in hand with the teaching. I love seeing what people are working on, but having five minutes to open the show every single month. That's not the only reason I do it, but that always really challenges me to be like, Oh, what, what's it going to be this time? You know, like, um, I, uh, just to give one example, like today I was like, okay, I, I know what I'm doing for the January show, but what should I do for the February one? Oh, it's on February 2nd. Um, I could do something about, uh, I had a, a strange encounter with Bill Murray when I used to be a Broadway concessions person and um, and how I, I, you know, he's in Groundhog Day and the show is going to be on Groundhog Day. And the message of Groundhog Day is, is so wonderful, right? Like, oh, a self-centered person becomes a person who cares about other people. It's such a such a beautiful message. But Bill Murray seems like he's a very difficult person from what we've heard and, and, and potentially, uh, you know, an abusive person and, and, and all these things. And I was thinking how, I had this, this encounter with him. And um, so like, that's an example. I'm like, Oh, I have a show on February 2nd. I could do like that old Bill Murray story. I don't know if I've ever done that on stage or, or um, you, you know, a great thing about hosting a monthly storytelling show is, is being like, Hey, what happened in the last month? Um, and, um, and then when I'm working on something like under a, a theme, like deep fake, I might have a story about, um, yeah you know, maybe seeing someone deep fake themselves or me or someone onto something. And from that comes the story. Um, but other, other things of inspiration is just, um, you know, a lot of storytelling is about, I try not to have too many things from the far distant past. I try not to do too much about things that just recently happened. 
I love work stories, but I'm trying to do less work stories. Like it's basically about like, so what have I done lately and what do I want to do next? Like, oh, a little too many like teenage stories. Let's try doing something from the last few years. Like too many work stories. Let's do something about like like a relationship I have with someone or or even like something like good old what happened on the subway that was really oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm seeing this with my own eyes, this type of situation. So it's all about like, oh, what have I done? Having a monthly show has been huge. Like, what have I done recently? What do I want to do next? Uh, just trying to find changes within things. Well, there's plenty of places to draw from. There's just so many aspects to life. Yeah, although I, I also think that, uh, you know, teaching storytelling, kind of getting people to mine for what story they want to tell is is always something because we only have so many hours in our lives you know, even if you have a super interesting life, you know, there, there you might be not Oh, like I do have a, I have a show coming up at, um, at QED here in Queens, one of my favorite, uh, clubs to perform at. And, uh, it's a couple of weeks away, but I'll say in full disclosure, I'm like, Oh yeah, I have a 10 minute set. I, well, I need to figure out what I'm doing at that show, you know? So, uh, which is a good thing to be thinking a few weeks out. But if I was thinking that in the show was in a few days, not, not, not so much my style, but, um, but there is like a finite amount of stories you can do when, when you're performing stories by yourself. So it's always good to, to, to try to keep finding something different. Yeah, so true. And if someone wants to learn more about you, what mediums are you on? I know you have your own website. You want to give information? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it's dtlawson.com, D-T-L-A-W-S-O-N. And uh, I'm DT Lawson on Twitter and I'm uh, Lawson on stage, L-A-W-S-O-N on stage on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, and I joined Mastodon and post, but I have no, you know, after Elon Musk got Twitter, but uh, still kind of figuring out what's going on over there on post and, and over there on Mastodon. Um, but I am on, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. And you have a great website, too. Oh, thank you. You know, good old, good old Wix.com. <laughs> really, I just used one of those templates and, um, and, you know, I, I do appreciate that. The The design isn't anything too groundbreaking, but it's just, you know, I always think of my website as like a business card online, you know. It certainly is. I yeah. love Wix. Yeah. Thank you. I really am happy, Lee, that, that you started this you know, when the pandemic was, was really starting to rage and you've continued doing this just because in so many ways, uh, it's felt like such a slow rebuild, um, you know, spaces closing and, 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 you know, or things not feeling the same and maybe they won't feel the same ever, but that doesn't mean that they can't still feel good, you know, going out and doing shows and, and being on stage. And there's been so much wrestling with, um, I don't say post pandemic because I mean, there's still like thousands of cases just here in New York city every single day. Um, but uh, you know, post, you know, uh, lockdown and post vaccine are the terms that I try to use, but, um, really I, I do appreciate you trying to, trying to document, you know, the arts continuing to go forward. And, uh, I always, uh, both choose optimism and I also just believe very strongly in, and, you know, people gathering in person and, and also in people, all the wonderful possibilities that we've learned about virtual and digital theater during during lockdown that I that I want to to keep going. But um, I, you know, as we continue to, to wrestle with the pandemic, um, which I which again, like I know is how you started this podcast, I, I really am, am optimistic um, about, um, 
about the arts going forward. Um, I know some things are going to be tough and, you know, it, it's wild when, you know, pe people mention on other shows of yours when Broadway shows are closing or when venues are closing, but um, just, you know, all, trying to just keep moving forward and, and understanding that uh, uh, I, I guess the best thing I could say is for the arts and for so many things that pre pandemic is we're never going to go back there. But that doesn't mean that uh, it can't be, you know, creating shows and, and writing and performing still can't be really lovely and beautiful and potentially uh, more lovely and more beautiful than ever. Yes, it's so true. And I feel like the arts evolved into something different, but still something beautiful. Actually, real quick, I did want to ask you, I mean, how do you think the dance world is right now, January 2023? Uh, I, I guess that's a just to throw that back to you. I'd like, how do you how do you think things are going to be with with the dance world? Well, the dance world took a major hit, especially the partner dance world, because there's no social distancing when you're dancing with a partner. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been keeping to think, thankfully, been keeping my gigs steady so far i mean i had to pick up the pieces obviously after the lockdown yeah like little by little and i'm on a stable work path right now which i'm really happy about but um i'll go back to visit my old mentor who owns an actual dance studio i just go to locations as a contractor but i know someone who owns a dance studio and he had to lay off five instructors uh. I still haven't brought anyone back. So it's been rough. Yeah. Yeah, that is that that that's tough to hear. And um, you know, dance is one of those mediums I really felt for during lockdown because uh like obviously obviously I, I did actually watch some really wonderful Zoom dance stuff um uh through Frigid New York and through the Queens Theater. But um uh it's just so that's just something when you hear people's feet hitting a spring stage like that's that's so much i don't want to say more remarkable but that's just really a certain something so thanks for for answering that lee about how, how the dance world is doing i'm sorry to hear about your friend laying off some of those instructors oh thank you so much i love it too when my guests ask me questions it's very rare so you're one of the diamonds <laughs> <in the world. laughs> well, thank, i appreciate that thank you lee and thank you again for coming on my podcast and i want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of state of the arts i encourage all of you to stay positive stay true to your dreams and stay safe out there <laughs>